Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to your Wednesday Buckeye talk. It's Doug Maurice. Welcome, friends. We're here to rant. You know what? It's not really rant. It's take. It's funny. They played really well against Toledo. Couple, couple things here and there, but like they're certainly rounding into form. I think the first three games for Ohio State this season, they accomplished a lot of what they wanted to accomplish. Ryan Day was talking about that on Tuesday, and you guys know this. Do people know this by now? I think we're getting a feel for this. This is the Wednesday rant pod where it's just me and the tech subscribers. And I send it out to our tech subscribers. If you want to be a tech subscriber, you can subscribe free trial for two weeks. You send a text to 614-350-3315. You get a thing back to sign up. And then if you don't like it in two weeks, text uh, STOP and you're out for free. So we do this pod where we react. We're kind of trying to react to the news of the day on Tuesday. We talked to Ryan Day, Jim Knowles, CJ Stroud. On Tuesday, and then I asked the texters to rant, and I was going to start off at the beginning of this. Could be five rants from the texters, five for me. The rants from the texters are too good. Last week we did ten. I have fifteen. I have some appetizer rants, and then a big ten. But I also want to have people. People are ranting in response to some of the rants from last week. So that might be a new thing that we do. It's like the the re rant or the the rant off or like the uh you know the 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 rant return right that it's like tennis we hit a serve last week and now you want to hit it back so we have a lot of a lot of good rants but they're not necessarily angry rants right because Ohio State's doing a lot of things well right now and I think pretty persuasively they're the second best team in college football right now so it's not necessarily complaining it's a lot of strong opinions. And I do, there's a couple things in here that we're going to run through that I find this, a lot of my rants around sports are based off ranting against not what happens, but what other people think about what happens. And my rant is, your rant is silly. So we have a couple of those. So I'm going to give you the topics. There's um, a quick thing about CJ Stroud. There's a thing about Ohio State versus the Browns. We'll do that really quickly. There's a grandpa question. There's an Alex Grinch question. There's a rant responding to my rant last week about night games. There's an Urban Meyer Ryan Day rant responding to the rant last week about Urban Meyer Ryan Day. There's a thing about the pregame report, about the defensive ends, about Michigan's quarterback revenge, about cornerback issues, about Sonny Styles, 
about the bend-don't-break Jim Knowles defense, which shouldn't be called that, and I agree, how C.J. Stroud is cool, Kirby Smart versus Ryan Day, and then the running back situation with Trevion Henderson. That's what we're going to run through, but we're going to take enough time to be able to dig into all these rants, and we're going to start off with this. And again, I just tweeted this out to the world because I want people to know this is one of my favorite things of the week. I read them all, 140. I read every single one. I can't use them all. But it, I feel connected to you guys when we do it. It makes me feel connected to the Ohio State fan base. And I am better, we are better at our jobs when we're connected to you because we figure out what matters to you. We figure out where your heads are at. And a lot of times your heads are in very different places. But we need to know where they all are. And we don't want to live in a bubble. We want to talk about the team in a way that matters, not just what we think, but we want to talk about what you think. So thanks for doing this. This is what I'm going to call like the uh, like the bad rant of the week. I don't know. This is funny from the 513. I was watching the Toledo game at a bar in Columbus and overheard a patron say, why didn't we get this guy instead of Stroud? He actually runs the ball after Daquan Finn's first drive of the game. Of course, CJ wanted to do what he did the rest of the game, and I don't recall that guy speaking out again. Made me think maybe we should have a, quote, worst take of the week segment, maybe even call it the 9-3 and three take of the week. I am I am all in for that. <laughs> also, I saw a tweet from Ian Rappaport saying Ravens linebacker Stephen Means tore his Achilles and will be out for the season. Will this have any effect on his ability to do the podcast? So we'll have to check with Stephen. We hope his Achilles is okay. I personally was not aware that in his spare time when he wasn't covering Ohio State and covering recruiting and being on the podcast that he was also a linebacker for the Baltimore Ravens. But we'll ask Stephen about that when we do a uh, rapid-fire Q&A on the Thursday pod. I think we're almost divorcing ourselves. We're almost fully there of wanting a quarterback who runs at Ohio State. I think we're almost there. I understand people who want a mobile quarterback, and I thought Daquan Finn. I think other teams should want a Daquan Finn. Other Big Ten teams should be looking for either the actual Daquan Finn and getting in the transfer there or the next Daquan Finn because if you want to compete with Ohio State, you can't get C.J. Stroud probably. So maybe get to Quan Finn, but that's not what Ohio State's trying to do. Ohio State is a place for NFL quarterbacks who are throw-first quarterbacks who are mobile enough to move around, look down the field, and throw. And we have talked a lot about that with C.J. Stroud this year, how C.J. has developed that even better. Some of the throws he made, he talked us through a whole thing on Tuesday. Steven asked about it and got the answer, and then he wrote about it. CJ talked all the way through the first touchdown pass to Julian Fleming that Steven said, were you actually throwing to Marvin Harrison on that play? And CJ was like, yeah, because Marvin was behind Julian in the back of the end zone. Go read the Steven story on cleveland.com slash OSU because I love, we all love when CJ Stroud talks stuff through it, but nobody wants CJ Stroud running. Even the times that people bring up, oh, he ran it. Did you see him run against Talib like he ran for four yards and then kind of like half fell, half dove down. When he starts running, he's no longer elite. He's fine. But when he's passing, when he's diagnosing, he is not fine. He is elite. He is excellent. So the minute he crosses the line of scrimmage, when he's moving around behind the line of scrimmage, still able to throw, still elite. He's worked on that. He's improved on that. The minute C.J. Stroud crosses the line of scrimmage, he is no longer elite. He's just fine. So why would anybody want that? Now, if it's fine because a little bit of fine sets up some excellence down the road, I get it. 
but let's not let's not wish away what Ohio State has, which is a great quarterback. So uh, I do take that. I like that. We don't want to call out our texters for a bad take, but if you hear a bad take out in the wild, I was walking down the street. I was at Starbucks. You know, my dad said something crazy. My son, my cousin, my neighbor, my wife, my mom, my sister, my brother said a crazy thing. You want to call them out? Maybe you should be calling out other people's bad takes. Because if you bring it, we respect it. If you hear it in the wilderness... I was sitting in a stand and this person said something. Maybe we can do that. The nine and three take of the week. This is another quickie in the appetizer portion. From the 803, Ohio State has higher standards than the Browns. I understand there's a lot of people on here who didn't give, don't give two hoots about the Browns, so we're not doing much on this. Kerry Combs can't run the D. He's gone in two weeks. Joe Woods leads the biggest collapse in NFL history. Crickets. Josh Proctor misses a single tackle against Notre Dame. Benched. Grant Delpit gives up bombs that blow games. Just stays on the field. Can you imagine an Ohio State coach coming out as soft as Kevin Stefanski did after a loss like the Browns just delivered? Not if he wants to keep his job. There's not much there I disagree with. And when I ripped the Browns in a column on Sunday, I made that Kerry Combs comparison. That in week two last year, the defense wasn't good enough. Kerry Combs was demoted and he was gone at the end of the year. He was in year two as defensive coordinator. Joe Woods is in year three as the Browns defensive coordinator. And it is crickets. I didn't I didn't say Joe Woods should be fired after that game. But it's not the first time it's happened. And it's indicative of bigger issues. And if you have repeated communications breakdowns, I think that's fair to put that on the coaches. And I do think in the way the texter expressed that, Ohio State has higher standards as a college team than the Browns do as an NFL team. And I do not think people around Ohio State would settle for some of the things the Browns are settling for now. That's it for the Browns on this whole pod. From the 419, hey Doug, not a rant, but a thought from Chris in Round Rock, Texas. I'll be at the shoe on Saturday. Welcome, Chris. And I'm bringing my Grandpa Kenny and welcome, Grandpa Kenny. He's 78 and he has never been. Has to be the only Ohioan I know who's been to a Final Four, not the Horseshoe. Anyway, I heard your advice about game day a couple weeks ago, and I wondered what's reasonable with him. We won't be able to sprint down from Skull Session to do the walk, for instance, but I'm really eager to show him the full experience, just like my dad did for me when I was six. Pretty cool to be able to close that circle. I mean, what is better than this? What is better than Chris and Grandpa Kenny? I get emotional about stuff, so I'm like, what's better than that? Okay, here's, I'm going to try to help out Chris and Grandpa Kenny. Go to the Skull Session. I think the doors open at least three hours before the game in St. John Arena. I think the skull session starts about two and a half hours before. You can go and sit. I know sitting's important. My mom is of, of that age. I think she's actually 78. And sitting really matters. You can sit in St. John Arena and listen to the band and be entertained and have an Ohio State vibe. And then the coaches and players are going to come in. They they swoop in like a gust of air. Ryan Day talks, an assistant talks, a player or two talk, and they're gone. But you get a vibe. Now, don't run. You don't have to run after that. But make your way to Ohio Stadium because that walk from St. John Arena to Ohio Stadium, you're going to pick up lots of vibes. You've got to experience outside the shoe before you get in the shoe. You don't just want to be in a situation where you park, maybe get on a shuttle, go boom right in. Like Feel the vibe outside. Sometimes there's there's 100,000 people outside, then there's a different 100,000 inside. So you'll feel that on the walk, but you can take your time. And then I just always tell people, when you get in, go to the rail. Don't go right to your seat. Go in on that main level, on that main concourse, and get in. Get into the stadium, get into the field area, and go down. 
Walk down the steps of the area you're in. If you can't do it like right at the 50, go down to an end or the 25 or so and get to a rail and take a picture of you and Grandpa Kenny at the rail where you're right on the field. Now, maybe the players are warming up. Maybe they're not. But I just don't, especially if you're maybe up in C deck or B deck, listen, where a lot of people are, take advantage of being close for at least a little bit. And then the other thing, if you can get Grandpa Kenny, that that could be a lots of time before the game. I don't know. But I think Grandpa Kenny would like Buckeye Grove. It's a living reminder of the greats of Ohio State. And there will be players in there that Grandpa Kenny loved when he was young, Chris. And you can go in there. There's plaques there. It's right next to the stadium, Buckeye Grove. Just ask and somebody will point point the way to you. And he can walk through there. And I think that is a great way to tie together the generations because, hey, look, here's A.J. Hawk. And over here is, here's Jack Tatum. And over here, here's Chick Harley, right? Like it's all, all the plaques for all the greats. Those are the three things I would do. Skull session. Get down to the field once you get in. And then if you can squeeze in Buckeye Grove before or after, that doesn't go anywhere. Maybe even do it on Sunday if you come back, right? That'll be a great day. Enjoy it, Chris and Grandpa Kenny. And maybe have Grandpa Kenny make a sign and all the Buckeye Talk listeners can say hi to him. Another appetizer. This is a this is the triple dipper appetizer at Chili's. I get the double Southwest egg rolls and the boneless wings. The, the Southwest egg rolls are so good you get double of them, even though you could get three separate things. So this is like the big-sized appetizer. Sorry, it's taking too long. It's Mike in Wheaton, Illinois. For Doug's hot takes and rants. Also, that sounds delicious, doesn't it? Hot take. Jesse Mirko should be an All-American if he keeps this up. 43.5 yards per punt, 7 of 11 inside the 20, with most of those inside the 10, and 3 or 4 inside the 5. As we talked about, they've punted 5, 5, and 1 time in the three games. That's more than they punted last year, so he might actually get enough punting done. Although this one against Toledo, I think, was really big to only have one. Uh, he's been very good. But this is the one that I wanted to get into because I, th- I can see how people think this. Alex Grinch, is he a bad coach, a bad person, or both? Now the USC defensive coordinator. There seems to be some latent animosity towards him on the beat, and it seems like he made the worst of a difficult situation when Greg Schiano came back after the Tennessee fiasco. Some of the snide comments lead me to believe there is more to the story, but since I am not in the know, it's uh, it's like people are keeping secrets. This is my take. And I do think sometimes, I do think there are some places on the beat somewhere where it's like, any coach who leaves Ohio State, it's kind of like, oh, well, that guy, you know, like, I think you get it with Yersich a little bit. I think you get it with Alex Grinch a little bit. Uh, I don't think that's where it comes from me. This is what I was talking about before. My reaction to Alex Grinch is mostly a reaction to the way he's covered by the national media because they acted like he was a genius when he came from Washington State and he was here for a year and recruited Bryson Shaw and was like part of a bad defense and he left. And then he went to Oklahoma and everybody still acted like he was a genius. Then Oklahoma's defense still wasn't very good. And then he followed Lincoln Riley to USC and they still act like he's a genius. And they throw his name out for every head coach conversation in the world. And I just, what is special about him? So I don't know. He was fine, I guess. But my, if you sense animosity towards Alex Grinch for me, there's nothing about him being a bad person. It is... He's not as good to me as national media sometimes makes him out to be. So I'm reacting less to Alex Grinch than I am reacting to what I perceive his reputation to be, which I perceive to be undeserved. And I think you understand how I react when I think people have undeserved uh, reputations or uh, undeserved positions. You guys kind of understand where I come from on that? So that's all that is. No secret bad guy stuff. I tell you. I mean, not that I know of. And I would... 
would I tell you? Yeah, I, I don't know. Would I tell you if I knew secret bad guy stuff? Let me think about that. I think I would, and I don't know of any. So I don't think it's that. I don't think it's that. Just like, just this chill out on the genius talk. Night games. This is a direct reaction to what I led the podcast with last week. Cody from Delaware. Hey, it's Delaware. Hey, Doug. You had talked about nobody wants a night game against Toledo. I would like to say for the 5% that do like Toledo at night, I think it's great because I do not get many chances at Ohio State tickets, and the Toledo game was a good price, and I get to take my wife to a night game for her first game, and honestly, what better way to have your first game be at night in the shoe? Either way, love being in the shoe. Don't disagree with that. I I will tell you that. I mean, I, I relate to that a lot. When I grew up, and you guys know I grew up in Pennsylvania, so when I went to games, I mean, I didn't go to Ohio State games. I'm not from Ohio. I went to Penn State games, and I always say we I, the games I went to were the games that we could get that season ticket holders that we maybe knew of didn't want to go to. So I saw a lot of Penn State, Eastern Michigan games. So, like, if you can get in, anybody who's just trying to get in, God bless it. Get in any way you can. See any game you can see. It's the same shoe, whether the opponent is Michigan or Toledo. All of the trappings are the same. All the stuff that Grandpa Kenny's going to go see are there. So I 1,000% appreciate that. I get it. More on night games. This is from Dan from the 312. One rant response to Doug's rant last week where he said, no one likes this many night games. Simply not true. Plenty of people do. Who? One, people who tailgate. They get to do it for more than just a few hours. Two, people that host watch parties. More time to prep the house and enjoy it. Three, People with young kids that play sports or have activities during the day, much easier for them to watch and enjoy the game. I don't buy the it's less special argument. The minute Ohio State put up permanent lights at the stadium, this was inevitable. I live near Wrigley Field, which is cool. And trust me, Cubs fans don't say it's less special because there are more night games than there used to be. It's simply a matter of convenience. Dan and the 312, I think that is very well said. I just get a little sleepy. From the 740. Oh boy, I've been waiting for this rant. Drew from the 740 here. First off, I want to say I love the show and I've been listening for over a year. Keep the pods coming. I'm a graduating senior this year and I love night games. Every night game I've been to, uh, my love, every night game I've been to has been electric. That's a capital, all caps, electric. First part of the rant last week was about too many night games and the second part was about how the music was too loud. Are you kidding me? That was all caps too. Drew, the all caps is a little loud for me, bro. Uh, Why would you not want that kind of environment for players, fans, and opposing teams to have to play in? It helps with recruiting and the team loves it. I'm glad Ryan Day seems to agree. Am I calling fans that want a calm noon game old? Yes. Again, all caps with an exclamation point. Drew, with the exclamation points. My old ears can't handle it. If you want to watch the game and be so comfy, do it at home. Kidding around, a mix of games is fine. I just like the night games. P.S. Shout out, Stephen, for being the voice of the under 35 age group. That's Drew in the 740. Um, I I mean, what are you going to say about that? There are certain there are certainly people uh, that feel that way. So I don't want to be uh, dismissive of that feeling for sure. But I, as Drew points out, I think you want to balance because you have a balance of fans. You have a balance of fans. I'm doing a bad job getting through this quick. Last one on the night games. From the 440, Vlad from L.A. with a rant about people ranting about night games. Again, a rant about a rant. What's better than that? And then next week, we can have people ranting about the rants about the rants. I'm all about having the Buckeyes in primetime every week. So let's state the facts. I'm listening to this podcast every day. I'm paying $3.99 a month to get the text. I watch YouTube videos with Ohio State analysts from you and others. But then Saturday comes about, and I'm wanting to get done with the game as soon as possible. Really? Not here. 
I'm thinking of it as the highlight of my week. And I don't care if it's against Toledo or whoever. I enjoy watching the Buckeyes dominate any and all. And by the way, on the West Coast, Ohio State has a big following. And it's a big plus for us to have games that don't start at 9 a.m. I'm tired of people, mostly journalists, complaining that it's a long day for them. Fans want to savor our Buckeyes. And what better way than to savor it in prime time? I wanted to give voice to the people who like the night games and also... I need to go to bed. I'm actually doing this at night, like at 1130 at night, which is like when night games end. So what am I complaining about? I totally hear it. And if you guys want to rant, we I don't I don't know that we want to do a night game right every week. We don't have to. But I get that uh, people have different opinions on this. And I do think it is there is some eight, generational age stuff. And there definitely is some geographical stuff, too, because I do think like if you live in Ohio and you're driving to the game and you have to drive two and a half hours to get to the game, maybe a game that gets done at 11 o'clock at night, like, but you're not, you're not far enough away to stay in a hotel. Maybe that's not great. Like you want it during the day, but if you're on the West Coast, like it's, I understand where it's coming from. This is also a leftover from last week, but now this is an official thing. This is number 10, one through 10 from the 978. This is Alec L. from Boston, Massachusetts. I just finished the rant podcast from last week, and my rant for this week is that we need to hang up the, quote, Urban Meyer is better for the program than day talk. I wanted to Van Gogh my ears listening to people talk about how day is too nice to lead this program and that this program would be in a better place or, quote, tougher under Urban. Was Ohio State tougher under Urban when it lost by four touchdowns to Iowa and Purdue? Was Ohio State meaner under Urban when it had JT Barrett, bless his heart, be the quarterback for four years when it was clear it was time to move on? Or when Urban promoted Ed Warner or hired Bill Davis and Greg Schiano? Listen, Ryan Day has had his fair share of mistakes. He is still learning on the fly, and Ohio State is paying the price for that in some regards. But he has shown himself to be a better tactician and more ruthless. Bringing in fields over Tate Martell moving on from Combs after the Oregon game, than Urban was at the end of his time with Ohio State. And there was such a malaise around the program, not to mention the ticking time bomb that was Urban Meyer. That any So this is the final thing. Any discussion of Ohio State being better now with Urban than with Day should never be entertained any further on the podcast. Anyway, that's my rant. Thank you guys for all the work you do. I just think that is just some, some chowder... Boston Chowder bringing it. That is great. Like, it's a, it's a hard, strong take. And I will say, Alec, I don't think there are many... Boy, makes me almost want to put out a poll of texters. I, I'm not sure Urban would get 5% right now. If you could have Urban right now or Day right now. I don't think Urban would get 5%. Now, part of that is like, what do you... I mean, like, Urban, Ryan's good. And Urban's had his issues. So... I, I don't think it's that. I think it is the the pieces of urban that people would want to grab. But the thing that I always say is you can't take pieces of people. You've got to take the whole package. Because Ryan Day, the whole package of Ryan Day, it's all related to each other. The good and the bad come from the same place. The whole package of Urban Meyer, the good and the bad come from the same place. So to say, well, I want Ryan Day to be a little bit tougher, but then you also want him to have a lot of the same culture and awareness of of, of player happiness and well-being and all that kind of things. Like, you can't do it. So I, I thought the discussion, I thought the people making the points last week also made valid points. But if you're saying, like, why are we talking about this for real, for real, for real? Why are we talking about it? I think, Alec L., there are a lot of people listening to this nodding along with you like, yeah, maybe Urban was better in this one area, but Day's the guy. 
Quick break when we come back. We got nine more areas to cover. We'll do it next on our Buckeye Talk rants. All right, nine more topics. Let's go. Want to remind you if you have not read the Donovan Jackson story that Nathan put up on Tuesday, I would direct you to that. And then we have coverage at cleveland.com from Stephen and Nathan off of what Ryan Day and Jim Knowles talked about on Tuesday. And there's something about CJ Stroud specifically that, that occurred on Tuesday that I had a moment where I thought this to myself. And then one of our longtime tech subscribers and listeners expressed what I was thinking about CJ Stroud. And Tuesday clarified it for me. And we're going to get to that. Uh, a little bit later in this podcast. The pregame report. This is the report that Ohio State, so this is Ohio State's injury report, for lack of a better word. They they call it an availability report because they just say if a player is out or is a game-time decision. And out does not necessarily mean injured, but usually it's injured. Like Evan Pryor is out. We know he's injured and out for the year. If a player, you know, had a really hard test that happened to be scheduled at in prime time on Saturday night and he couldn't play, then I guess he also would be listed as out on the availability report. So we get that. And then that's published like, I guess two or three hours before kickoff every week. And that is the only thing Ohio state does. But the issue is last week, Jordan Hancock, well, Jordan Hancock didn't play, but Tanner McAllister and Josh Proctor were nowhere to be seen on the availability report. That was, made public a few hours before the game, and then they didn't dress and didn't play, and they're starters. And how could it be that nobody knew to put them on the availability report, but then they're starters that didn't play? Like, what's the point of having the availability report? From the 239, why does Ohio State provide a pregame status report? It's inaccurate at best. I get the gamesmanship teams play, but why not lose the pregame report unless Day believes it really provides a competitive advantage? Thanks. Love your work. That's our guy Shelby in Fort Myers. Always love to hear from Shelby. From the 317, it's Drew. I think the availability report dishonesty is atrocious. The fact that we get injury surprises who weren't even on the report in the first place 30 minutes before kickoff kickoff is absurd. Thanks and love y'all. I agree with that. And I think there is something that I have in my head and I want to do it. My problem is I have too many things in my head, not enough time. I want to figure out how many of the Power 5 teams still release depth charts. When Harbaugh stopped releasing a Michigan depth chart probably four years ago now, people went nuts. And then Ryan Day, just like two years ago, stopped releasing one. It was like, oh, well. And now a lot of people don't. And I think that's weird. And so I do think as gambling becomes everywhere, Right, we're gonna Ohio's Ohio's gonna have it next year. Practically every state has it now, or so many do. The NFL requires an injury list, and a lot of it is because so you can't have sort of like behind the scenes secrets that are a competitive advantage or a disadvantage for the opponent that you're playing, which I think is most important, but also maybe for anybody who might be betting on the game and trying to get inside information. So there has been talk, I think, that conferences should regulate this. Also, this would fall under maybe the NCAA if the NCAA wasn't completely abdicating its responsibilities and led by incompetent people. But I do think this is bad and it should be called out and I need to get a better handle on the situation and then ask what's up. Because if a college coach does not want to give specific injury information about an amateur player because they believe it falls under HIPAA laws and they're not going to disclose those things. I guess I get that, but don't give us a report that's not true. 
So if the answer is, well, then there's not going to be a report. I don't know. Would I rather have no report or would I rather have a port, a report that leaves off a couple guys who aren't going to play? Because the report does not come out that much before we start seeing guys with warmups anyway. So I think I might rather have nothing. But I don't know what the reason is. And how would you say that it's not lying? Now, is it the biggest deal in the world? It's not the biggest deal in the world. But I do believe that, especially at a state university, that, and again, the university is is, is state-funded, state-supported, but the athletic department on its own, they don't take student fees. They kind of, they they run out of profit. They, you know, right at Ohio State, at least they do. Like, are they really taxpayer-funded? Not exactly, but I still do believe that you are a state trust. You have... It, it is something that the people of Ohio, the taxpayers of Ohio do, I think you do have some responsibility to them. And so like, I don't think you should release a disingenuous report. So I, I don't want to go too far and like say that it means that Ohio State is disingenuous, but you guys noticed it. We noticed it. And I don't know what the reason for it is. Like, why are you doing it? But it's not truthful. Well, and, and it's not that stuff, because like Cam Martinez knew he was going to start for a couple days last week because Tanner McAllister wasn't going to play. So it's not like they knew that Tanner McAllister went from he's going to play to not play in between the time that the report came out and the game started. That's not the case. So then what are you doing? So I need to ask about that, and I will. Let's talk about football. The defensive ends. Number eight. From the 419, I feel like I was lied to about how good our defensive ends are. I'm not saying they aren't good, but they aren't as good as I thought. That's Jay from Martin, Ohio. This is another one along the same lines there about the defensive ends. From the 310, none of our current defensive ends in the rotation will ever get close to becoming what we saw with Chase Young and the Bosa brothers. They are darn solid defensive ends, but none of them have the ability to bend their bodies and get around offensive tackles to attack the quarterback at an elite level. The only two potential game records that I can see on the defensive line are Mike Hall and Tyleek Williams. And this is related a little bit to something we're going to talk about later. From the 918, Daquan Finn made JT Tumaloa look silly last Saturday. I know the defensive end's not piling up sacks isn't supposed to be a problem as long as they are creating pressure, but I saw a lot of defensive ends lunging on their bellies while a mid-major quarterback made plays on top of them. Defensive end is Larry Johnson's on question strength, but we're not there yet. We don't need Chase Young, but we should have at least Sam Hubbard. Sam Hubbard, by the way, is pretty awesome. And in the end, may have been a little underrated here. I still have on my list potentially for the bye week that I would just send this out to the texters because I'm not here to call anybody out, but do like a list of maybe the, in my time covering Ohio State, like the 10 guys who I thought would be good in the NFL and weren't. The 10 guys that I wasn't sure, I didn't think would be in the that good in the NFL, but are good in the NFL. Then the 10 guys I thought wouldn't be that good and weren't that good. And the 10 guys that I thought would be good and are good in my time on the beat. I would like to do that. Sam Hubbard would appear on that list of, I really wondered if he was going to be kind of a tweener. What exactly is he? And he's like, what is he? It's like, he's an impactful starting defensive end for a team that made the Super Bowl is what he is. He's one of the 10 or 12 best players for a team that made the Super Bowl is what Sam Hubbard is. So, um, the bend, I think, is interesting because I think what we're seeing there is Zach Harrison, I think is I think that is an area where you could say that bend is what everybody makes, is is what's elite, right? Miles Garrett, the Bosa brothers, Chase Young. You get that dip around the edge where you can get around the defensive tackle, dip, turn, pivot, get to the quarterback. You have to be a little Gumby-esque. And I don't think that's Zach. 
And then Jack Sawyer, when he's doing the Leo stuff, he doesn't even try to do some of that, right? So you're taking away the opportunities there. I think he might be the most likely to be like that. And then JT, again, I've compared to Cam Hayward. That's just a different kind of defensive end. That's a little more run-stopping. It's a little more physical. It's not quite as bendy. It's it's not much as much speed rush. It's more power. So the way it's working right now, no, I, I don't think we have a Bosa or, or Chase Young type guy. They're not getting a ton of sacks. They are getting some pressures. It goes back to a thing we talked about a couple years ago when they were getting pressures but not sacks. And you got to get home. Daquan Finn is slippery. I think we'll get a better sense against Graham Mertz in Wisconsin this week. Because this offensive line for Wisconsin, I think, is good, not great. Ryan Day basically said that. Young. And... Graham Mertz is not, is not as slippery as Daquan Finn. So I think, and I think they're going to have to try to throw the ball a little bit. Wisconsin is. So I think this will be an opportunity. I think you will see more of it. Tyler Buckner was pretty slippery. And then James Blackman, I think, got the ball a little bit. Um, I just think it hasn't been quite the right type of quarterback for them to get big sacks. But if the final takeaway is at the moment, they don't have a, even a Sam Hubbard level guy, bendy guy around the edge, I think that might be true with the players they have and the way they're using them. So, but I also think the defensive line might be the best part of the defense right now. So I don't think it's a problem, but I think if the conversation is, are they very good but not great? Are they really solid but not game wreckers? I can understand that kind of conversation but I also would say I don't think we've seen the type of offense for them to go crazy yet. But I, I understand where that rant comes from. Number seven from the five one three. There appears to be a new trend in Michigan quarterback recruiting. Find the runner up to Ryan Day and go hard. First JJ McCarthy and now Jaden Davis. Reports are those two have already become good friends, likely bonding over how they were spurned by the Buckeyes. French Vanilla once said that revenge is a great motivation. This sounds like a narrative that could loom over the rivalry for most of the decade. I think it's right, and I think it's genius. If you're Jim Harbaugh, what better way to recruit quarterbacks? Because again, when Harbaugh got here versus Urban, I thought it was like, okay, here we go. Urban's going to recruit dual threat. Jim Harbaugh's going to recruit pro style. You're going to have two different kinds of successful quarterbacks. Harbaugh never got it going. He had to get Jake Rudock as an Iowa transfer early on. You know, they got John O'Corn from Houston, but they weren't making like impactful. Um, Kate, you know, um, not Cade McNamara. What's the guy? Shea Patterson as a, as a Toledo guy who transferred from Ole Miss. That never worked out, even though he was a five-star recruit coming out of high school. That was, he was a little bit more like Tate Martell, which is exactly the kind of guy that Ohio State was getting away from. Michigan kind of leaned into that and it didn't really work. Cade McNamara is solid, but that's not it. But JJ's the kind of guy. We all know that, right? JJ was interested in Ohio State. Ryan Day picks Kyle McCord. JJ McCarthy immediately goes to Michigan built in. And you don't do it for revenge. You do it because Ohio State, if they're looking at somebody hard, they looked at Graham Mertz, right? We all know that Wisconsin guy this week. Probably if Ryan Day's taking a long look at somebody, he's has a decent chance to be pretty good. So that's why Michigan should be thinking about those guys. There's no shame in taking, and I don't even want to say Ohio State scraps, but like be interested. Anybody should be. Be interested in the quarterbacks that Ohio State's interested in. Be interested in their receivers too. I think this makes sense. I think J.J. McCarthy is potentially a... Now, listen, they made the playoff 
when J.J. McCarthy was a freshman and not the starter. But if they continue this new level of success at Michigan, J.J. McCarthy is going to be part of it. Um, to do that again with another quarterback, yes and yes. And you just have to make sure that the motivation is talent, not revenge. But boy, is revenge a nice bonus. Buckeye talk, right? Oh, who doesn't love? I don't think you want to go through life with main courses of revenge. But revenge is a great side. I had chicken. I had hot chicken takeover tonight. I had chicken. It's a little spicy. I had chicken for dinner. I wouldn't want revenge chicken. But I had baked beans on the side, and I would have revenge baked beans. So if J.J. McCarthy is... Now I'm going to make a chicken analogy with Jim Harbaugh. And again, Jim Harbaugh, as we know, doesn't like chicken because it's a nervous bird. The chicken... J.J. McCarthy needs to be a talent chicken and and revenge baked beans. That's how that has to be. You can't have revenge as your chicken. Maybe a salad. Probably better than that. Gosh, dude, who doesn't love baked beans? I don't make baked beans at home, although, I mean, you make baked beans, you go to the store, you buy a can of baked beans, you put them in the microwave for 40 seconds. I guess not the can itself. That'll blow up your house. But you you pour out the baked baked beans into like a, a bowl and you heat them up and that's all you have to do to cook them. So I should make baked beans more. But I find it to be a treat when I get like a hot chicken takeover or city barbecue, whatever. I get chicken and then a side of baked beans just lifts me up. So that's left the talent but the revenge is just a, it's a little pick-me-up. Who doesn't love revenge? I love revenge. I love, oh, my gosh, I love revenge. I probably love it too much. Jim Harbaugh don't love it as much as I do. Cornerbacks, this is a football question, 617. Cornerback is this year's Achilles heel. We thought we had enough depth to not be interested in Eli Ricks, even though he hasn't done anything at Alabama. He's the five-star transfer from LSU, but that kind of the word was like he was maybe interested in Ohio State, but Ohio State kind of liked their dudes, and Ryan Day has been very careful to sort of take transfers to fill a hole, to fill a gap in recruiting, but not to take a guy who's then going to jump a recruit, going to jump a guy who came. So the way that we sort of interpreted it was, and, and this is what I heard. This is not just like secondhand. I, I heard this um, from talking to people at Ohio State, that they just didn't, they thought J.K. Johnson and Jordan Hancock were ready, and they didn't think that it was sort of like fair to them to bring in a guy like Eli Ricks to jump them. Anyway, but Denzel Burke has regressed. Jordan Hancock is hurt, and now we're in trouble. The situation will rear its ugly head on either the trip to Penn State or Maryland, hopefully not both. That's not the only person who sent it about corners, believe me, from the 518. A couple of years ago, there was a debate as to whether Ohio State or LSU was DBU. I don't know if LSU is, but Ohio State is not. How the mighty have fallen. The most concerning concerning thing I saw was how badly Denzel Burke misplayed the deep ball, then gave up on the play. Until the back end is straightened out, everyone in the program should keep the words silver bullets out of their mouth. That's Brian in Albany. A couple more on this topic. From the 614, something has to happen with our corners. Tim Walton can have Jalen Ramsey talk him up all he wants. Tim Walton coming from Jacksonville. Um, he had had Jalen Ramsey as a player, and there was a, a video clip of Jalen Ramsey talking about how much he loved Tim Walton, that when Tim Walton was hard at Ohio State, that was one of the things people pointed to. 
But if we have questions and minor alarms about Denzel Burke and somewhat about Cam Brown against Arkansas State and Toledo, then we have absolute problems. No physicality and nothing feels threatening. Plus, we have a banged up corner in Hancock, which only hurts that rotation, making those dudes uh, become more exposed to an extent. And the last one, this is related to this from the 3-3-0. While Kerry Combs' tenure as defensive coordinator was a failure, without him returning to Ohio State, it's unlikely we have Jordan Hancock, Denzel Burke, or J.K. Johnson on the roster. I'm pessimistic. We will continue to recruit elite cornerbacks without him uh, in my lifetime. We didn't until he joined the Ohio State staff. That's Taylor and Charlotte. So I do think they'd have Denzel Burke. That was kind of a, a Brian Hartline find, right, in Arizona. Recruiting him as a receiver was like, hey, this guy's a corner. We need to get this guy's corner. But Kerry Combs did turn the tide. He got Cam Martinez, and then he did. He basically got Jordan Hancock and J.K. Johnson. So I think there are reasonable questions here. In the end, should they have gone for Eli Ricks? I don't think that over-relying on transfers is the best way to build a sustainable program, but go talk to Nick Saban about Henry To'oto'o and Jamison Williams and Jameer Gibbs and Jermaine Burton and Ty Harrell and their left tackle from Vanderbilt and all the things that Alabama has done. So that might be wrong. And if Eli Ricks was here right now, Everybody from you guys listening to Ryan Day to Jim Knowles to Tim Walton would feel better about the Ohio State corners. So I'm not saying I, I'm not going to second guess that because I agreed with it in the moment, but they are short there. The Den, Denzel Burke not playing very well early, and both Jim Knowles and Ryan Day were asked about it on Tuesday. There's kind of like a 50 50 ball kind of thing um, that there's a little bit of like one on one matchups ball in the air. That, you know, when it's 50-50 balls, 50-50 means half the time it's not going to go your way. Then there's also just sort of like the matchups when the ball is in the air. And we're, we are, I am getting texts again about like corners not looking for the ball, which my gosh, we only have been talking about that for 10 years. You got to make plays on the ball. You can't just be near the play. So Denzel Burke has not played that well, not played as well as he did early last year. But also part of what really showed up last year is, he was playing really well in context, and the context was he was a true freshman, and a lot of other guys around him were not getting it done. So he really stood out in comparison to Ryan Watts and Legend Cavazos and the fact that he had just showed up. I do think this is the weakness of the defense, and I wonder if this is what Wisconsin will attack. I'm really curious about how this Wisconsin game plan is going to go Saturday because as much as they – I really like Braylon Allen. That's their reputation – I think if you want to attack this Ohio State team right now, you throw on them. Because if you throw and you take the defensive line out a little bit, and I guess I, maybe there's some questions about the all like some of the defensive tackles, if they played well enough. I don't think it's – I think they're holding up pretty well on the front four. And then Tommy Eichenberg is a problem, uh, stopping the run and some of those things. But And Tommy Eichenberg on the blitz is a problem. But if they're smart about blitz pickup and they get the ball out of Graham Mertz's hands, I think you try to throw on them. Not because Wisconsin's good at it, but because I, I think it's flipped. I don't think you want to attack Ohio State in the run game right now, which is exactly how you attacked them a year ago. But Cam Brown got beat for a touchdown uh, on the first drive last week. And listen, corners get beat sometimes. Jim Knowles was saying this is life on an island. It's really tough. Again, if you're a corner and... You play 60 snaps and you play 57 perfect snaps and the other three are giving up touchdowns. Everybody thinks you stink. So that's if you're a receiver and you play 60 snaps 
and 57, you get covered like a blanket and can't get three, and three of them you break play, you break free for long gains, and you have three catches for 111 yards, everybody thinks you're great. That's the reality of the position. We don't need to necessarily restate that. We get it. The Jordan Hancock absence is really being felt, which goes to the fact that you're a little less certain about your two starters there. But Ryan Day on Tuesday said, you know, the week a week ago before Toledo, the way I talked, they talked about Jordan Hancock, I was like, well, it feels like he's close. He might be back. Ryan Day said he's still close, but he's not there yet. So that sounds to me like Jordan Hancock's not going to play against Wisconsin. That they're still using the term close, but they are no longer implying that close means play. So J.K. Johnson's played a lot of snaps. And then your fifth and sixth corners are absolute true freshmen. And you don't really want to be putting those guys in those situations right now. So I think this is where they're vulnerable. You guys think this is where they're vulnerable. I think this is where they think they're vulnerable. Is it disastrous so far? No. Is it concerning and the weak spot at the moment on a defense that certainly is playing better than last year? Yes. Do we know for sure that it's going to get fixed? I don't think we do. So this, you don't want to put all of this on a second year Denzel Burke and be like, well, Denzel Burke, the whole health of the secondary, whether it's good or not, relies on you. Like that's, that's not fair because again, Denzel Burke is filling gaps because other guys fell short at both, you know, in recruiting Clark Phillips is not here. And in some of the guys who did show up and no longer are here, Ryan Watson, Legend Cavazos, or have transferred. So it's not fair to to paint uh, to put too much of a spotlight on Denzel Burke. But the reality is, if he doesn't play as well as he did last year, and again, like he wasn't great in the Michigan game, but if he doesn't play as well as he did for much of last year, it is felt because of the lack of depth and the Jordan Hancock injury really emphasizes that. So I think this is reasonable to be concerned about. I don't think it's a five-alarm fire right now. And then, of course, you get back to who's going to make them pay. I don't know that Grand March can do it, but I think they're going to try. I think this might be a reverse game where we spend all week talking about Michigan's run game and Grand March comes out and they throw eight of the first ten plays. I just, you know, that happens a lot uh, with Ohio State, that a team comes out with a backwards offense because if they do what you expect, it's not going to work. So I agree with the rants. I agree with the takes. I don't have a great answer for you, but that's because they only have six actual corners and two of them are true freshmen. And one of those four is hurt in Jordan Hancock and the others are a little iffy to some degree. So that's where we are. Sonny Styles from the 419. Sonny Styles should be playing right now. He is the most dynamic back seven talent we have, and he's incredibly mature. I watched him at the high school basketball state tournament last year, and the way he carries himself is special. He also controlled the game while barely scoring. Uh, one more Sonny Styles that I turned into a Sonny Styles thing from the 518. I'm loving what I've been seeing from Knowles compared to Kerry Combs. However, I miss the days of having a player in the linebacker and safety room that was truly feared when they shot through a gap or ran across the middle. When an offensive player shot through the gap or ran across the middle. Darren Lee, Ryan Shazier, A.J. Hawk, even Denzel Ward would lay a huge hit given the opportunity. This group seems like it's missing some of that dog mentality that can give an offense the jitters. I thought it would be Josh Proctor, but I haven't seen it. I do think there is some accuracy with the Ohio State defense being softer than what it used to be. Give me a Cade Stover level crazy person that loves to hit on the defense. I think they're coming. And I think they have two of them potentially, and they're just very young right now. 
I don't want to. I I I understand that hyping up five stars can be a dangerous game, but I don't care. So I, at the moment, am thinking: What if CJ Hicks at linebacker and Sonny Styles at safety next season are AJ Hawk and Dante Whitner? So that's where I am. <laughs> that's where I am on that. And I think Dante and the hit that Sonny Styles laid on somebody in the Toledo game. When I think of aggressive, hard-hitting safeties at Ohio State, I go to Dante Whitner. So Malik Hooker is your rangy, you know, uh, sideline to sideline, make a play on the ball safety. Jordan Fuller's like your steady back-end guy, but a guy to be feared, like a safety who makes people look around and say, where is that guy? That's Dante Whitner to me, who, by the way, was a top 10 NFL draft pick and maybe one of the more underrated Ohio State players in my time covering the team. And then, like, playmaking all over the place, linebacker, I just think they're not quite there yet. Now, listen, like, there's a chance that Lathan Ransom gets to that point. There's a chance. I mean, Ronnie Hickman, Ronnie Hickman had a pick Saturday that Jim Knowles explained was a look they had been working on. And he'd been working with Ronnie Hickman on it. And he said, Ronnie Hickman finally like got up the, like enough confidence in himself and the system to be, able to, to be able to sort of leave his area and make a play on the ball and make a pick. And that's exactly how that should work. So Ronnie Hickman growing in Jim Knowles, system with how much we know Jim Knowles respects and relies on Ronnie Hickman and how smart Ronnie Hickman is about that stuff. That could be something that continues to grow. But I think Ronnie Hickman still maybe is is more a little more on the smart, reliable side of things and a little less on the scary, where is that guy side of things. And so I think it's coming. I think we may see it next year, both at linebacker and at safety with CJ Hicks and Sonny Styles. And much like this texter, I am also kind of looking forward to it. Not 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 that Pete Warner's not great, but man. Who doesn't want Ryan Shazier or AJ Hawk, right? And man, who doesn't want Dante Whitner? Man, I just like those. Whoo, man, I loved me some Glenville safeties there in that time, right? Like Jermail High. Oh, some of those, they just were. They just like it's like a Jack Tatum. It's like Jack Tatum reincarnated, right? And um, just the best of what that is, which is not like the Jack Tatum hits that would be penalties and get you kicked out of the game now, but just like a presence, a physical presence in the secondary that it's not out of control, but it's fierce. And if you want that, I think Sonny's and and Steve has been on this. I think, I think it's coming with Sonny styles. All right. We need to talk about a term that I agree is wrong about this defense from the seven, six, five it's Buckeye 11. To podcasters, OSU fans, and football watchers, stop referring to current Ohio State's defense and the Knowles defense as a bend but don't break in one breath and then talk about how aggressive they are in another. They have had a few long drives against them, but that is not the same as sitting in a zone and letting everything unfold in front of them and reacting after the fact. That was Ohio State's defense last year and not Knowles' MO. Thanks for the opportunity to vent. Uh, There is something here, and I am going to brand them if you guys want to use it instead of bend. Ben not break. I agree with that. This is Mitch from Charlotte on the same same idea. 
Yo, Ohio State is running a defense that is the complete opposite of a bend-but-don't-break defense. Bend-but-don't-break defenses are designed to prevent big plays, which generally means more guys in coverage and keeping everything in front of you. Knowles' scheme attacks the line of scrimmage, which puts DBs on islands and generally results in less people in coverage. I assume that's why Knowles, and I hate that, um, that I assume that's why Knowles and I, Mitch and Charlotte, hate that characterization of the defense. I don't think it was you guys that made the characterization, so I'm not blaming you. But if you want to piss off Knowles, please continue calling this a bend, but don't break D. Yeah, I I don't think it's us either. I certainly have not have thought of it that way. And and I'm going to give it to you in a second. This is related to Daquan Finn, who, again, I have a lot of respect for the Toledo quarterback. Dear Doug, Ohio State learned from Finn, but so too did Michigan. I'm concerned because they also have a fiery competitor who can expose our defense in a similar fashion with mobility, and that's J.J. McCarthy, who we talked about before. How concerned should we be if there are fundamental personnel issues that will cause a back-to-back losses uh, or a lack of Knowles we trust? At this point, Knowles has my trust. How about you? And again, I think this is related. The Daquan Finn conversation at Ben Don't Break is related. This is YG from Grand Rapids. I don't know what our pressure rate on quarterbacks is or our stuff rate, but I feel in big games, our inability to close on tackles for loss... Uh, will be what ultimately dooms Ohio State. Seeing what Finn could do when he broke contain made me worried about what Bryce Young would do in that situation, who is likely faster and has a better arm. I feel like we're almost at the tackle a lot, and tr- and truly elite teams will finish those plays. Okay, so those are related, and, and here's what I want to say about that. I did ask Jim Knowles about that. What did you think of what you learned from Daquan Finn and how you handled it? And he said, I didn't think we handled it very well. He thought guys were jumping and leaving their feet too much. And the thing that he said he learned from is they did not have, and they do this sometimes, like a DB or a real wiggly kind of guy who's maybe not a true quarterback, played quarterback on scout team last year to simulate simulate Daquan Finn. They did not simulate in practice last week that style of elusive quarterback. Because you know who would have been good at it? Cam Martinez, who was that style to some degree of quarterback in Michigan and played Daquan Finn in a state championship game in high school that Daquan Finn won, and Cam Martinez was kind of happy to get him back uh, on Saturday night. But they also couldn't do that because Cam Martinez was going to start. But you could have found somebody and had them do that. And I think they learned from that. The preparation, Jim Jim Nill said, I didn't like the way we left our feet trying to get him down. And we we were close, but no cigar, because I think the fundamentals broke down. But he's saying the reason the fundamentals broke down in trying to get to Daquan Finn and barely missing those tackles and being an almost defense was because they didn't prep the right way. So I think they did learn from that. A lot of the other stuff, some of it can't help. And I think part of the thing that makes Jim Nill's crazy is I think we all realize this scheme works. But he was talking about this on Tuesday. Once a quarterback breaks the pocket, scheme's over. There's no more scheme. Now it's just make a play. And so all the Jim Knowles scheming, all the time in his office, all the film watching, all the teaching kind of out the window. Now, not completely because he called it plaster, which is like find a guy and stick to him. Right, if you're out in space and the guys are running around, find a guy and stick to him. It's not like it's there's no coaching that goes into scramble situations, but it's not it's not the chess match as much anymore. It's dodgeball. So I think Jim Knowles is really confident in the chess match right now. I think you guys are confident in the chess match, but dodgeball, man, sometimes you get hit in the face. So that's just a reality that you can't you can't take away because certain quarterbacks are going to do that. Graham Mertz is not going to do that this week. Now, the question is, will J.J. McCarthy do it for Michigan? I don't know who's going to do it before that. I don't know. You know, I don't think Penn State has a guy. Sean Clifford's not going to do it. Spencer Petras for Iowa's not going to do it. I, Talia Tongavailoa is, is talented for Maryland. I don't really think he's going to do it. I don't think Peyton Thorne from Michigan State's going to do it. 
I don't even know who the Indiana quarterback is right now, frankly. I don't know who the Rutgers... So I don't think they're going to get burned before then, but I do think, yes, Michigan and Alabama learned from it, but they would know that anyway. I think you've got a plan for a little bit of that because that's always the thing. That's why Johnny Manziel beat Alabama a decade ago. How do you beat Saban? You get out of structure. Because if you're going to chess match Nick Saban as a defensive mind, you're probably going to lose. Well, Johnny Johnny Manziel's not chess matching. He's dodgeballing, right? So that is just the way it is a lot of times with great defenses. But I think it is like not it's not frustrating to Jim Knowles, but like he he kind of acknowledges like yeah, well, what are you going to do? So they can get better at it. So a lot of respect for Daquan Finn. He was talented. They need to do a better job, but. To some degree, there's only so much they can do. But what they can do is prepare better and practice during the week than what they did this week. Respect to Quan Finn. Understand they need to get better. Don't be too freaked out about it because the bottom line is Ohio State still won 77 to 21. And you may, but you may get in a situation where if you're playing Bryce Young or JJ McCarthy, you may have to outscore them to some extent. But also, the, the other part of this is, and, and it relates to sort of the big plays about this that, that Finn made and the bend but don't break. Oh, I forgot. I almost got off the topic without just giving you my new thing. I think we should call this defense strike but stiffen because Jim Knowles says he builds the big plays into his plan. We've talked about that. He says five plays or, or less, five or less big time plays and you're undefeated. You win. Now they gave up too many. They gave it more like 10 or 11 last week. Some of them were, were in garbage time. We've talked about that. But strike and stiffen, he is willing. He wants to be aggressive. And as the two texters pointed out, it's not bend, don't break. It's not sit back and then stiffen in the red zone and allow the underneath stuff. It's take risks and be aggressive and know that every now and then when you're aggressive, you're going to get beat. But when you are get, when you do get beat, get beat for 50 yards, but not for touchdowns. Now, Finn beat him for touchdowns. Right, that was a thing. Two touchdown throws, one long touchdown run. They didn't have a chance to stiffen, but but they did. You know, and again, I didn't love the conversation with the Notre Dame. Like, oh, it was so great. Even though the team was having that conversation, I like yelled at Nathan for having that conversation. Oh, after the Josh Proctor missed tackle, it was so great that they stiffened. It was great, but they didn't give that up because they were being aggressive. Well, I guess they did give it up because they were being aggressive because they blitzed the corner from that side and put Proctor in coverage and he missed a tackle. I think there's a big difference between giving up a big play because you did something wrong or giving up a big play because you took a risk that didn't work. So I guess that might fit it. I still didn't love that conversation because... Yes, of course, it's better to stop guys in the red zone. But the point is, if you're going to be aggressive and take chances, you've got to get home. It goes back to the defensive line stuff a little bit. When they're blitzing Tommy Eichenberg through a gap and he's eating a quarterback, that's what's worth it, right? Now, if you get burned on one of those blitzes because some, you know, like they burned Xavier Johnson, burned Notre Dame because Notre Dame came zero coverage, blitzed both safeties, awful. First time they did it all game in that game, Xavier Johnson beats them. They took a risk and it didn't work. They didn't get beat. They just took a risk that failed. So if you're going to take risks, the risks have to pay off. And as long as you get more payoffs than the times you get beat, then it's worth it. But you're still going to get beat sometimes. So Jim Knowles said if it's 50-50 balls in the air, and I think the one that Denzel gave up, that one would be characterized at that. You know, like a 50-50 ball. Did he play at the end? Great. No. But Finn kind of escaped and just gave his guy a chance. That happens. They'll live with that to some degree. And if they're trying to be aggressive and pressure a quarterback and every now and then he escapes, they'll live with that to some degree. So that's how that works. But the thing that Jim Knowles said on Tuesday that matters is, 
the big plays are built into my defense, meaning giving them up because he sees the worthy trade-off because he wants to strike. And then when they give up the big plays that are built in, he wants to stiffen and keep them the field goals on touchdowns. So it's not Ben, don't break. That I think is an important point. No one should be calling it that because Ben, but don't break him. It does. It implies a lack of aggressiveness. Well, you know, we'll take some jabs, but we're not going to let you get the knockout punch. Jim Knowles is like, I'm not trying to take your jab. I'm trying to knock you out before you knock me out. So the whole point is I'm trying to knock you out. And while I'm trying to knock you out, you might get hit me with a really hard shot, but you're not going to knock me down. But you might break a rib. All right. I do like boxing. I used to cover boxing back in the day. I, I covered a guy named Michael No Joke Stewart. What a great nickname that guy was. And I covered enough fights of him because I was in Delaware. He was from Delaware. And like, if you're in the state of Delaware and you have an athlete from Delaware, you cover every single one of them. Like they're Jesse Owens, right? It's like, oh, who's the greatest athlete ever from Ohio? Jesse Owens. Who's the greatest athlete ever from Delaware? Michael No Joke Stewart. So he, uh, but I liked boxing because I was sitting ringside one time and Michael Stewart got punched and some of his blood landed in my notebook. So that happened. But I do enjoy boxing as a sport, but I'm just not sure I'm great at boxing analogies. Okay, when we come back, three more things to do, including Kirby Smart with his versus Ryan Day and why CJ Stroud is cool. Doug Maurice back with our Rants podcast. We did not do a Q&A rapid fire last week because we did sort of a bigger picture thing. I think we need to do another Q&A rapid fire. I, some of your rants, I tell you to send them as rants for this, but some of them, to be fair, I am going to turn into questions because some of them, I if it's like especially historical related or it's just a certain thing, I think it it's a better flow if it's just me. But some of them, it's like, oh, I want to rope in Stephen and Nathan on this and see what they think about it. So I do have some of your rants that I saved that will appear on the Q&A pod on Thursday, including one that was a really smart text. And if you wrote it, I just want you to know it's coming about all the snake bit superstars in kind of recent Ohio State history and how that applies to Jackson Smith and Jigba that I think will make for an interesting conversation. This is from our guy, Doug DeLillo, though. Always great to hear from DeLillo. It's about C.J. Stroud from the 440. And I do like this because we do this on Tuesdays because I do want it to kind of react if you guys watch the news conference on Tuesdays or maybe you read stories off the news conference because you maybe don't have time to watch a whole YouTube video. But I want it to. I want this conversation to be informed by Tuesday. And this question is, here's a take that really isn't fiery, but I'm going to miss C.J. Stroud next year. Whether he wins the Heisman and a national championship or not, he just seems like a very nice kid. He is a joy to watch answer questions from the media. His discussion is usually pretty straightforward, insightful, and seems honest. He adds a good amount of personality, and him talking ball like he did today about that throw to Fleming was very interesting. He seems like a cool dude, and I think he is a good representative of the team and university. I think we often take for granted some of these guys when they're here. I am thoroughly enjoying our, enjoying our time with C.J. Stroud. A second quick one, Jim Knowles looks like the human version of Thanos, and I can't unsee it now. Thanks. That's DeLillo. So I thought this same thing, DeLillo, watching CJ talk today. And I love when guys start talking ball. I felt the same way about Garrett Wilson. I called him Professor Football a year ago. I loved when Garrett Wilson talked ball. But I thought about, and this is not a slight towards anybody, but I do think CJ is sort of an evolution in a lot of ways. And there is not a lot of... um, 
I just had the word in my head. As I get older, words fall out of my head sometimes. But there's a lot of what you see is what you get with CJ. He's not putting up a lot of walls right now. And he has been really funny and entertaining while being super interesting and being very willing to talk ball this year. And that is a great combination. So I'm just going to think the, the quarterbacks I covered. Troy Smith, I, he was he's obviously took over as a starter partway through 04. Um, I started right at 05 when he was still half suspended for the Texas game. And I feel like I got to know Troy pretty well because he was from Cleveland. And I was for the Cleveland Plain Dealer on Cleveland.com. And by 2006 in his Heisman campaign, I, I felt like we had a pretty good relationship. And I, I feel like I still have a, a pretty decent relationship with Troy. But Troy had been through a lot in his life. And I do think at times, Troy, I don't know if I want to say got defensive, but I think he was on the lookout sometimes with the media. Now, he was really charismatic. And I think he was incre- He had it with his teammates. He has it, I think, as a human being. Troy has it. And I understand sometimes having a wall up with the media because I'm not sure I would love it all the time. I support journalism 100%. I don't support every single journalist 100%. And sometimes people ask stupid questions. And sometimes I can see how sometimes it feels like people have an agenda or people make a mountain out of a molehill. And if I was being interviewed every day and I felt that, I would be that way too. So, but I I really like talking to Troy but I think there was a little, I don't even want to say edge. He was just on the lookout a little bit. But Troy, I mean, CJ's come from a, from some tough things in his personal life too. Troy came from some real tough stuff. And what Troy did to get to where he was as a football player and what Troy did to get to his place in life is nothing short of remarkable. But he wasn't quite where CJ is with how open CJ is with stuff. Todd Beckman waited his turn, uh, was just a little bit of a more of a low-key guy, got him to a national championship game, kind of a different deal. In comes Terrell Pryor. Super hyped. And, you know, then Joe Bosman was in there. But it's kind of a transition to Braxton. And I think Terrell and Braxton, you know, they're very different, but they're very similar in that they were super hyped recruits who were sort of like very cool they just were a little bit of a different style of quarterback where they're not going to take you through an entire play and everything they read the way that C.J. Stroud or Dwayne Haskins did, right? So it's just a different conversation. I think Braxton was a little shy. You know, it's just you. the conversations we're having with C.J. right now, you just – Terrell was playing as a true freshman. That was a tough spot for him. You just were not going to have the kind of conversation we had with C.J. Stroud on Tuesday. You just were not going to have that with Terrell Pryor and Braxton Miller. And I just don't – I don't know what to say beyond that. J.T. Barrett was almost too buttoned up sometimes. Like, he was such a loyal Buckeye and, like, a team leader that sometimes you couldn't puncture J.T. to get him to maybe talk you through a play or lighten up a little bit. I remember still the one night where people – he felt like people were questioning his arm strength. And I remember I was asking him about it after practice and it wasn't at a podium and he was on the field and he said, you know, what do I have a weenie arm or something? And I'll never remember. I'll never forget the JT Barrett weenie arm night because it was a moment where CJ, uh, JT sort of like let his guard down and stood up for himself in a way that was great, but it stands out because it was unusual. So JT, we all know JT. JT, great Buckeye, just was not going to light it up in a discussion. And and I'm mostly talking about the perception of these guys in in public. I'm not really talking about necessarily the level of play. 
Then Cardale, Cardale is a party, right? Like how great is Cardale? But it was like a very kind of, it's really kind of lightning in a bottle in a lot of ways. And again, it was, I love the Cardale and Tyvis Powell vibe. I went and hung out at their apartment one time. You know, I went when Cardale announced that he was staying at Ohio State and I went and sat with him. You know, he had an announcement at Glenville High School after the 14th season. And I went and sat with him in the back room. I had a lot of really good conversations with Cardale and I really like Cardale, but it was just a little bit more flashy, but not, again, I don't think you're going to sit down and talk ball with Cardale quite the way that you're going to do that uh, with CJ Stroud. Dwayne Haskins, you did. And I asked Dwayne Haskins a lot of the same kind of questions we asked CJ now about talking ball, but Dwayne, and I love Dwayne. Dwayne always had a little bit of, um, of a like a, a smugness, I want to say, but like I don't mean that in any bad way. But sometimes you could feel like Dwayne was sort of like humoring you a little bit. And Dwayne just sort of had that personality that I like, right? Like I I am I didn't there wasn't one thing about Dwayne that I did not like. But CJ is just a little more straightforward about that kind of thing. And then Justin Fields was a good guy, but he was he just felt like between not being recruited here, so we didn't get to know him as a recruit, and then he was here, and then he was a starter, and then in year two he was a starter, but it was the pandemic. I just feel like we never got sort of through. I never We didn't get the full Justin experience, and that's not – that's 95% circumstance, right? You know, I was all excited because Justin dropped the woe one time, and I was like, what does it mean when you're a quarterback who can get up and do that in front of a team? And I do think he's a little more laid back and grew into it. The bottom line of this is I think CJ is special. And I think this is not even talking about his accuracy and his diagnosing, but I think if Douglas DeLillo, I think, Doug, you are probably speaking for a decent number of fans when you watch this guy. And he really has come a long way this year because I do think he lets the I do think CJ is aware enough of what's said about him. I do think at times he can let the negative things affect him too much. I think it, he admitted it. I think it did at times last year and even like early this year. I think sometimes like there's so much praise for him. If there's a little bit of questioning, I think he can grasp onto that sometimes. But when he's talking ball and when he's just sort of living his best life, which is what he feels like he's doing almost all the time, I think it is pretty rare. And I think it is unlike any quarterback that I've covered here with his confidence, with his natural sort of likability with his just absolute intelligence and the way to speak through things. And I told him this today, and maybe I'm wrong on this, because after Steven asked him to run through the play, and he did, I said, can you do this with a lot of plays? If I asked you about a play against Nebraska last year, which was the example I used just out of the blue, would you be able to talk us through, hey, remember that third and six to Chris Olave? And he was like, yeah, I think I might be able to. He was like, yeah, I think, you know, Sean McVay, the Rams coach, can do stuff like that. He did that. There was a famous thing with Sean McVay where he talked through something, I think, with Washington when he was a an assistant coach like 10 years earlier. And he remembered that play. And CJ said, I, I think I could do that. And the only person that I've run across, I think in my sports writing career, 
that leaps to mind that is similar to that is Jack Nicholas. Because if you ask Jack Nicholas, and I've just been around Jack Nicholas at the Memorial Tournament in Columbus enough, if you ask Jack Nicholas, hey, at the 1973 British Open on the 16th hole on Saturday, you were down by two and you had 156 yards to the pin and you hit an eight iron. What do you remember about that shot? Jack Nicholas will tell you which way the wind was blowing, how he decided on his club, whether he wanted to play a fade or a little bit of a, you know, knock it down a little bit under the wind and talk you through it like he he hit the shot 10 minutes ago, not four decades ago. And when CJ was doing that today, that's what it reminded me of. So it's like, I don't know, what is Jack Nicklaus? Like, one of the two greatest golfers of all time, one of the 50 greatest sportsmen, athletes in American history, like a golf genius. And that's who my comparison of CJ Stratt is? So that might be hyperbolic. I'm just telling you, the reason I pulled out DeLillo's, we know DeLillo, but the reason I pulled that out is because what, what DeLillo expressed, I was sitting there in the team room at Ohio State on Tuesday, listening to CJ answer Stephen's question, and then preparing my follow-up of how do you do this? And I was thinking the exact same thing. Like what an intriguing interesting pleasure it is for me as a reporter to interact with somebody like that. And I remember sitting there thinking, looking at this guy who's just very self-effacing. He's just, there's not a lot of pretense to CJ and thinking like this guy's a Heisman favorite and he might be, he's probably gonna be a top five NFL pick. And he's just kind of up there hanging out, talking about a play. And I don't take that for granted. And I don't think, you guys take it for granted because as I sort of laid out and I started thinking about it in my head, I've not covered in my 18 seasons of Ohio state. I've not covered a quarterback quite like CJ Stroud. And maybe Kyle McCord will be that way. Maybe Devin Brown will be that way. Maybe Dylan Raiola will be that way, but nobody has been quite like CJ to deal with. Um, And the way he has handled this and the way I feel like the thing that I like about it is not that he answers my questions or Steven's questions or Nathan's questions or anyone's questions. I think he's letting you guys in on this experience. I think he's elevating the experience of an Ohio State fan by being willing to explain his thought process in a play, by being open about how he feels about things. It makes it more joyful. It makes it more interesting. It makes you guys feel more connected. And in a world where a lot of athletes, their instinct, especially when you get to the pros, but their instinct is to put up a wall. I don't think CJ has any walls up right now. And he's a Heisman favorite and a surefire first round draft pick and a soon to be multi multi millionaire millionaire who's already making a ton of money on NIL who goes out on Saturdays and performs at a, at a very high level. And I think he's taken you guys along for the ride. And on your behalf, I'm appreciative of that. And also, I think it's cool. That was long, but I, I really wanted to say it, and I can't believe DeLillo like, asked that exact question as it was on my mind. Great stuff from DeLillo. From the 614. This is Cullen in Boston. Ryan Day is on the same coaching level as Kirby Smart. Smart isn't better. He's just been on the job longer. Smart won his first title in year six. Day is only in year four. Georgia is a great job, one of the few on the same level as Ohio State. Yet somehow Kirby isn't penalized for that, while Ryan Day is the third base comment in 
parentheses. Ryan Day has zero bad losses on his resume. He lost to Oregon and three playoff teams. He's led Ohio State to the playoff the same number of times as Urban Meyer in less time. Put some respect on his name. That, Colin, is how you bring it. That's how you bring a rant. I will say this. Before he won the national title last year, people did question Kirby Smart. Kirby Smart was like, well, you got all this recruiting talent. How come you can't get over the top, right? And he had... He was, he, you know, he beat Oklahoma in a playoff semifinal in overtime and then was ahead of Alabama in the national title game and forced Nick Saban to change quarterbacks at halftime and barely lost. And I think the perception of Kirby Smart before last year was great recruiter, pretty good coach, can't get it done. So I think I would differ on, I don't like, and then once you win it, I mean, you you have a title. So I don't, of course, that affects how you're viewed because you've done the thing that everybody, that you're here to do. But I actually think the way Ryan Day is viewed right now is pretty similar to the way Kirby Smart was viewed before the national title, which is you're in a great circumstance. You're doing a really good job. You're bringing in really good talent. And Kirby Smart didn't inherit the program quite at the point that Ryan Day did. But Georgia should be a monster. And Mark Richt had been underachieving. So everybody knew Georgia should be better than this. And then when Kirby made it better... He did get credit for that, but then it was like, okay, well, what else? Why aren't you winning national titles? So I am not disagreeing with any part of Cullen saying you should respect Ryan Day and you should think of him the same way as Kirby Smart. But I'm just telling you, I think Kirby Smart dealt with some of If you feel like Ryan Day is dealing with a lack of respect, Kirby Smart did too, until he won it all. And... Of course, there's going to be a difference in the way you view a coach with a title and a coach without a title. But the timeline, as you said, let's see where Ryan Day is in year six. So I just, I think it's, I think it's a good one by Colin. It's why I wanted to use it. Uh, but I just, it's a reminder of Kirby Smart dealt with some of that same stuff too. All right, this last one that I saved, I, I we've gone a little long, longer than I planned. You guys are too good. The appetizers were too big. I'll try not get to get your triple dipper next time. We'll just get one app. It's sometimes hard. You guys do this, right? You just, you fill up on apps. So we filled up on apps here a little bit, so we're going long. This is about Trevion Henderson. It's about Dallin Hayden. It's about this ongoing Trevion Henderson discussion that keeps going. And Austin Ward um, from Rivals asked Ryan Day about this today because the thing that I was joking with about somebody after the game, when Kev- and we talked about it on the post-game pod, where Kevin Wilson said, hey, Dallin Hayden, Mayan Williams, they're kind of one-cut guys that get up the field. And it was sort of like, by not saying Trayvon Henderson, are you implying that Austin basically asked that? And Ryan Day said, hey, I think I think Trayvon Henderson has run hard this year. They've worked with him on that, right? I do think he just, it's some of the things, it's like the burden of talent. Like, you know you can do it. You know you have the ability to pop a 50-yarder, so maybe you do want to try. And they, But they've worked with him on hit a hole and go. Don't, don't dance. Don't look for the big play. Austin brought up the same thing. J.K. Dobbins in year two in his head tried to be a home run hitter. Ryan Day sort of saying, like, I don't think we're there. I don't have any issue with the way Trevion's running. So I, I don't think it's a problem. The, the, you know, it's just unfortunate when Trevion can't be out there. So we're going to hit a bunch of Trevion, Dallin Hayden points because they are connected. Then we'll get out of here. Thanks for hanging in this long from the 904. My rant is I'm tired of a portion of the fan base thinking Mayan Williams should be the starter over Henderson. 
Um, how careful the staff is with managing Henderson should just show how highly they think of him and how much they think they need him as the number one back. If it's Wisconsin um, last week, Henderson doesn't come out of the game, right? So like they were just careful with him because it was um, a lesser opponent. I, I, we've sort of covered that before. I also think let's not go too far with Mayan Williams. But again, we've also covered not everybody agrees with that. More on Trevion Henderson. Will from the 847, Doug, my rant probably won't be unique, but it's about Trevion Henderson. He just looks less electric and slower this year. He almost seems like he's taking the same career tra- tra- trajectory as Beanie Wells. Five-star recruit, big plays his freshman year, but can't stay healthy. I hope he can remain healthy as he is a difference maker, but the amount of bruises he gets and holding him out makes him someone you can't depend on. Okay, so uh, I I don't, I understand the inclination there. I don't last year as a freshman, not playing high school senior, you know, I think he did have a concussion issue at one point. He was dealing with like some lower leg stuff, much of the second half of the year. Um, I don't think it's hard to think. I don't think there's something about him that makes him injury prone. I think perhaps he's just had some moments here. So I I know what you're saying, but I, I don't think it's like a, quote problem yet or anything from the five six two. I can't stop feeling like Trey is going to be dinged up all season. I don't think he can take the punishment of the upcoming Big Ten schedule. I love him. I'm rooting for him, but I think Mayan is gonna be our bell cow. Again, this is this is like the the ongoing Travion discussion. From the five six one, I'm getting concerned that we may never get to see the real Travion Henderson for any sustained period of time. And I end up talking about what could have been. I think he's great and explosive, but it seems like he is constantly getting nicked up and he can't seem to carry the load. Again, I think we can underestimate at times how much of a load he did carry last year. As a true freshman, he did get, he got a lot of work last year. And so I I don't, if part of it is in your head, that like, oh, I don't know. He he seemed like he wasn't around all the time last year. Um, like it's just, that's just kind of not true. So I just think we need to be careful with that. Um, and basically what happened this year is like he hurt his foot. And so here we are. He had 184 carries last year. That was 53rd in the nation. Um, but let's look at what it was in the Big Ten, because sometimes it's national stuff. In the lower conferences, you get a dude and you just lean on him. Um, carries last year, 184 was sixth in the Big Ten. Hassan Haskins had 270 for Michigan. Kenneth Walker the third had 263. Those are both veteran guys who are now in the NFL on run-first offenses. Tyler Goodson from Iowa, same thing, 256. Veteran guy, run-first offense. Evan Hull from Northwestern, 196. Braylon Allen as a freshman, 186. Trayvon Henderson, 184. So, like, that is a pretty good workload. And, like, Tyler Goodson last year, 256 carries. He averaged 4.5 yards per carry. Trayvon, 184, averaged 6.8. So, Tyler Goodson carried it 70 times more than Trayvon Henderson, but Trayvon outgained him. So... Like, nobody wants, nobody's saying, why isn't Travion Henderson Tyler Goodson? Why isn't Travion Henderson Hassan Haskins, right? Hassan Haskins carried it 270 times. I, I just think it's, he was a true freshman. He actually did carry it, I think, maybe more than the perception is. 
And then he hurt his foot against Toledo. So let's not let let's not have that push us too far. This is a Travion related one that is a direct response to my previous rants, which again I love from the five six one. It's Mike of Virginia. Doug, let me preface my rant by stating that of course Travion is the more talented back, and I'm not arguing that Mayan should be running back one. But I take issue with your claim that Ohio State needs a home run threat at running back. It's a wonderful luxury. But given the power of the passing attack, it is not a requirement. With C.J. Stroud and these receivers, Ohio State can score from anywhere on the field on any given play. What the offense needs from the running game is first downs, a.k.a. more opportunities for the passing game to break a big play. An eight-yard run is especially invaluable to this offense because of the options it provides day on second and two. I hope Trey is back this week and runs for 1,000 yards, but if he gets abducted by aliens, this team can absolutely win a national championship with Mayan Williams carrying the load. I think that is an interesting way of looking at that situation, and I think it is a good point, and I'm going to let it roll around in my head and think about it. Brian Robinson last year for Alabama, was he a home run threat or was he a big physical running back? Like Najee Harris when Alabama won the national championship in 2020 was everything, was both. You know, Clyde Edwards Hilaire is certainly more of kind of a do it all, everything kind of back with LSU in 2019. So I'm gonna let I'm gonna let that roll around in my head. But it's a great rant and it's a great take because there's a lot to it. Even if not everybody agrees with every point of it, there's a lot to it. We're gonna wrap up some Dallin Hayden stuff in here. From the 304, he's the freshman who's now the third running back, Trayvon Henderson, Maya Williams, then Dallin Hayden, because Evan Pryor's out. Dallin Hayden should have been named player of the game against Toledo. Almost any game in 2022, you can name the winning team's quarterback the player of the game. Too easy and lazy. Hayden stepped up when Henderson got hurt, came in as a true freshman that should be RB4 and took the bulk of the carries when, at the time, the game was not in hand. Meaningful carries when he got his number called. Excellent stepping up when called on. Didn't shy away from the opportunity. CJ can be the player of the game any game. Give the freshman RB his flowers. Great take. One more on Dallin Hayden. This is getting hot. From the 5-6-7, Dallin Hayden is already better than Travion Henderson as a freshman. Watching him Saturday made me reminisce of Dobbins in 2019. He was patient, found the hole, followed his blockers, cut and knifed through the gaps. It was amazing to watch. If given the option, I'm not so sure I wouldn't start Hayden over Henderson seriously. I don't think a lot of people are there. I am not there. I always thought one of JK's best things was sliding through half a hole, get a little sideways, get through it and go. I thought Dallin Hayden had some pretty good holes to work with. I thought everybody had some pretty good holes to work with on Saturday against Toledo. I think you look back at the screen that Travion caught late in the Minnesota game in his first game last year, and it's like, I don't know a lot of guys who could do that. Like, there is still that explosiveness. And I think to say you'd play Dallin Hayden over Trey right now is too far. So let's... Let's realize that if we think, if a perception is percolating that Trevion Henderson is like injury prone or unreliable or always nicked up, he was sixth in the Big Ten in carries last year as a true freshman, and he hurt his foot in week three. So I would I would chill out a little bit with that, and let's see where this goes. But I think it's worth watching, and I really think the point of you do not need a home run hitter at running back with this offense is something to think about, which is what these rants should make us do. You state a well-thought-out, well-argued opinion, and then you let everybody say, huh, 
I don't know if I'd thought about it that way. Too many of them. You guys are too good. This is too long. I apologize. It's too good. The appetizers went long. And I could have grabbed 30 more. And I just can't. I just can't. I just can't. But I'm going to try to turn some of them in to the Thursday pod when Stephen and Nathan will be back here. I love doing it. I love you guys being a part of it, being my co-host on this show. It makes it super fun. And again, if you want to get in on it, 614-350-3315. You get a two-week free text trial. Try uh, reading cleveland.com slash OSU if you haven't. We just have good stuff up there every day because it's the Ohio State Buckeyes and looking forward to this one on Saturday against Wisconsin. Bunch of pods still coming later in the week. Of course, T. Shu will be back for a betting the Buckeyes pod on Friday along with our regular game preview for now. Can't be more grateful for you guys making this type of pod happen. I'm Doug LaMaurice. And that was Buckeye Talk.